Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Expanding the sales tax and bringing back tolls, not to mention supporting school regionalization. None of these are proposals that will help Governor Ned Lamont win a popularity contest. But Lamont also says he's open to other ideas to get to a balanced budget. So here's your chance to chime in with ways you think the governor and the Connecticut General Assembly could do just that. Governor Lamont joins us where we live for the hour. You can too. Here's the number, 860-275-7266. You can always tweet us at where we live. We're also on Facebook Live today. Uh, Thank you for watching. And you can add your comment or question right below that live video stream. Uh, We had planned to also talk with the new Transportation Commissioner, Joseph Giletti. And then winter happened, and he's not here uh, with us, but we're happy to see Governor Lamont back in our studios. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Lucy. Great to be back. So did you snowshoe in? I had a short drive on a well-plowed road. Um, Joe Giletti, our new head of transportation, and the guys at the emergency operations team were going around the clock. I think they did a pretty good job. And so this is, the, I think, the first uh, weather event where you have had to uh, shift when state workers are coming into the Capitol. Tell us what the plan is, as uh, state workers may be hearing you right now on our radio. So we got on last night at um, you know, 9 o'clock with all the folks in the Emergency Operations Center and a few folks from our staff. And we got their recommendations, where the snow is going to fall, where it mo- might be most heavy, and uh, what would be the safety uh, prerogatives on the streets. And that's when we decided that you know, um, state workers could show up two hours later, which would ease the commute for other people and make it easier for us to plow the roads. And so you're happy with the response that you're seeing this morning? Well, maybe I'll hear from your listeners. <laughs> uh, we can be sure of that. So I wanted to ask you, because uh, Commissioner Giletti wasn't able to join us as planned, tell us a little bit about why you picked him to lead the Department of Transportation. Uh, Joe Giletti was previously president of Metro North. And if I'm going to get the transportation system uh, moving in this state and speed up rail, um, I need somebody who understands rail and somebody who can work with New York because Metro North is sort of controlled by New York right now. So having the former president, Joe Giletti, now as head of DOT, gives us a big running head start. If I can just fix two or three of the bridges that Metro North goes over, we can speed up transportation by 15, 20 minutes between, uh, say, Hartford, New Haven, New Haven, Stanford, and most importantly, uh, down to New York. You you mentioned this 30-30 plan uh, during uh, your uh, State of the State or budget address. Uh, I can't remember which one. Is that um, is that realistic to get from point A to point B in that time? Well, it's absolutely realistic. I just don't want to um, overpromise. I mean, it will probably take uh, 10 years to do that. Uh, But what we can do is have more frequent rail service, fix the roads, fix the signalization. In less than five years, we can make a real difference. 
Uh, you mentioned that uh, Commissioner Giletti is a rail guy. That's important considering this Hartford line that's been operating, uh, I believe, for about a year. Uh, still a lot of problems uh, because of ridership, uh, not enough trains, and because Amtrak, I guess, owns the tracks. Uh, there's been some uh, some concerns about when certain people that want to ride Hartford line have to get off uh, to uh, so that the Amtrak ticket holder uh, can take a seat. I mean, how are you going to resolve that, Governor? I think I'll resolve that with Joe Giletti. Um, but I think fundamentally getting Hartford connected on more frequent uh, service all the way to Springfield, eventually Springfield, uh, Boston, we really create a rail network to allow people to get around. I, I got to tell you, when I talk to a business uh, folks around the state, when I talk to folks who are thinking about moving a business to Connecticut, you know, one of the top two or three questions I always get is gridlock on the roads and highways. And uh, number one issue for them is how can I get my employees there? How can I make sure that my customers have easy access? And that's going to be a matter of getting some of those cars and trucks off the road, at least during peak hour. And some of that involves a more frequent, regular, reliable rail service. When can residents expect to see that more frequent, reliable rail service? Uh, I certainly think we can make real progress in the next few years. Um, you know, like I said, some of it is just basic maintenance, bringing things up to ma uh, maintenance repair. Some of it requires investments in signalization and such. Some of it will require, um, you know, the federal government moving forward with a real infrastructure bill. So for the most expensive types of upgrades, we're going to have to wait there. But there's a real opportunity talking to, um, you know, John Larson. Um, I had the opportunity to meet the vice president, Pence, uh, just a week or so ago. And an infrastructure bill is going to be a big priority. And that would mean whatever we can raise here in Connecticut, we could leverage four or five to one with the federal government and get our trains and highways moving again. What is the state's relationship with Amtrak? Again, uh, because of this uh, having to coexist with the Hartford line and the Amtrak trains, but also when you think about much needed improvements on Shoreline East, uh, I understand that uh, service has really been broken up because of repairs that need to be done and bus service. Uh, people just aren't riding that trade anymore. What is the state going to do to alleviate that? My understanding is Shoreline East has gotten less frequent, less reliable, and Lucy, as you point out, uh, a lot of that is due to some of the repairs that are long overdue that are going on. Uh, but uh, I know how important it is for uh, New London and all along the shore to make sure we have more frequent rail service there. I've got to tie this state together. And New London, New Haven, New Haven, the Stanford, or Hartford, rail is going to be a big piece of our future. Uh, we haven't talked about tolls yet, but that's something that is really drawing ire from many residents. Uh, uh, they thought that you were going to only uh, put forth a proposal to toll just trucks. You changed your mind. Why did you change your mind? Well, to be exact, I put forward a both proposals to the legislature last week. One is trucks only and one is uh, for trucks and cars. We thought a year ago, six months ago, that we'd have resolution from Rhode Island where there's a lawsuit regarding the trucks only tolling. And we may not get resolution on that uh, for the foreseeable future. And it may be a very narrow interpretation. So if you really want to get this state moving again, if you want 30, 30, 30, if you want to speed up trucks, uh, speed up rail and uh, car transportation, uh, we've got both tolling options uh, on the uh, on the platform, the legislature will consider it. And I'll tell them why at the end of the day, I think getting our transportation system moving is the most important thing we can do if you believe in jobs, economic opportunity, and getting this state growing again. 
Uh, David, on Twitter writes, uh, you said during your campaign, uh, we cannot tax our way out of this mess, yet your solutions are all grounded in more taxation. Uh, he wants you to work with Republicans to find a bipartisan way to fund transportation without more taxes or tolls. What do you say to David? I tell David that we have the leanest budget the state has seen in many a year. We've got real structural reforms uh, when it comes to health care in particular, how we can bring down the cost of um, uh, our employee plans there and uh, working collaboratively with labor. They've been a, a big help uh, coming to the table here. Uh, I promised that we were not going to raise the income tax and uh, not raise the sales tax rates, but I also did say we we're going to expand the base on the sales tax as an alternative. But this is really driven on a budget that is focused on doing everything I can to get this economy growing again. And uh, David, I would just tell you that if Connecticut had the same growth as our neighboring states, just the average around the country over the last 10 years, uh, we'd be talking about the surplus. We'd be talking about how we cut taxes or invest uh, more aggressively for the future. Governor Ned Lamont is here with us here on Where We Live. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. You can also find us on Facebook Live. Also tweet us at Where We Live. Uh, Governor, you said that you promised you wouldn't raise the income tax. Why are you not in favor of doing that? Because there is the Progressive Caucus within the House. There are many working poor and middle class residents in the state of Connecticut who think that the rich should be paying more. Why don't you not want to raise the income tax? I said we shouldn't raise the income tax because, A, we have raised it uh, four or five times in the last uh, 12 years. I say four or five. The last one was when um, the Trump tax bill came through and ended the, the deductibility of state and local taxes, which represents a big tax increase. I see that there's been a law of diminishing returns where the more we raise the income tax, the less relative revenue we got coming in. I look at New York, which um, has higher uh, income tax than we do, and they got uh, two or three billion less dollars from the income tax than they had anticipated. So I thought um, it was important to stay consistent with uh, holding the line on what is um, the workhorse of our um, revenue, which is the income tax. We raise uh, almost uh, you know most of our revenue that way, but I think we should hold the line, and we will. Uh, expanding sales tax, isn't that pretty regressive? Doesn't that hit the uh, working poor and middle class uh, pretty hard, especially when you're also asking uh, for tolls on the roads, Governor? We've got a lot of ways we can address that. We can do that by um, uh, doing a small rebate on the property tax, doing something on the earned income tax credit. There are ways that we can address what could be um, you know, regressive when it comes to the sales tax. I'd also tell you that I just think it's unfair that the digital economy is untaxed while our Main Street um, merchants have to collect the sales tax. And uh, frankly, it's more upper income people that are taking advantage of the digital economy, be it e-commerce or downloads or what have you. So um, I think there's a certain fairness to it as well. We're going to take some calls now. Again, the number 860-275-7266 to join uh, Where We Live with Governor Ned Lamont. Neil's calling from New Hartford. Neil, go ahead. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, go, Neil. Go ahead with your question. Yes, Governor. Um, one of the things that I, you've been reputed to be is approachable. And I'd like to find out if I can bring to you an alternative plan that would not uh, involve using taxes on our highways. I'm going to meet with one of my state senator, well, my state senator, tomorrow. I've already met with my state rep to discuss that. 
and we'd like to bring it to you and see what you think of these ideas. It's progressive. It's not regressive. And as a Democrat, and I'm a long-time Democrat, I think traditional Democratic values are not to hurt low- and middle-income people with regressive taxation. So would you be available? Yeah, I'd love to uh, hear more about your plan. And um, I will tell you that uh, we've had uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, coming into my office. It is a, a, an open-door policy. Uh, I put forward what I considered um, an honest and fair budget that uh, keeps faith with what we said over the last uh, 12 months, that gives the state the best chance to grow and, um, and, and get jobs. But, uh, Neil, I'd, I'd love to hear you know, your thoughts and other thoughts. Maybe give it to your state senator and uh, we can share notes with him. So what are the options if uh, tolls are not passed through the Connecticut General Assembly, Governor Lamont? Um, How can you fix the roads? If tolls are not passed, um, right now we have the special transportation fund that's running out of dough. It's running out of dough for some good reasons. I mean, electric cars and fuel efficient vehicles. Uh, So I can potentially um, raise the gas tax, something I really don't want to do. I can't tell you that Joe Giletti is working like a demon when it comes to holding down the costs of construction on our roads and bringing down the cost per mile and getting the administrative overhead out and finding ways we can do the engineering at less cost. But uh, neither of those will be enough to uh, – certainly won't be enough to speed up our roads and rail. And what, one other thing on the tolls, which is worth remembering, is um, if we get you know a billion dollars in tolling revenue um, over the next you know, on an annual basis – 400 million a year of that will come from out-of-staters. And we've been subsidizing their road repair for a long time in Massachusetts and New York. So I'm going to give them an opportunity to help out here in Connecticut. You mentioned the Special Transportation Fund under uh, former Governor Malloy. We heard that if nothing is done, that Special Transportation Fund would be insolvent, I believe, by 2021-2022. The state legislature did approve moving some sales tax uh, revenue receipts to that fund. I understand uh, through reporting by the mirror and others that you uh, suggest taking that that money that was supposed to go in the Transportation Fund to help plug this $3.7 billion budget. Why do that? If well, that's, we need these projects. That's half right. Um, on the um, sales tax on cars, we're freezing the amount of money that goes from the operating fund into the uh, special transportation fund. But if uh, the legislature signs on and we expand the base of the sales tax like we've uh, projected, that would be more revenue from that sales tax going into the special transportation fund. But your fundamental question is we keep borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. I mean – Borrowing for the bankrupt operating fund to give, put money into the uh, insolvent transportation fund. I'm going to make a transportation fund that is solvent for the long term, that has its own independent source of revenues coming in. It allows us to grow this economy. It allows me to take advantage of uh, the federal government when there are infrastructure bills in place. I'd like to say you're going to see a transportation system you will not recognize in the next 10 years in this state. Um, you've alluded to your debt diet not wanting to uh, borrow uh, to pay for projects. How does that impact near-term transportation projects? Uh, obviously, uh, Transportation Commissioner Giletti is not here to answer this question. But I'm just curious, with even with to- if tolls were to be passed, that's uh, several years down the line where we'd see uh, the uh, hundreds of millions of dollars towards uh, transportation. You don't want to be borrowing uh, to pay for projects. So what transportation projects are going to be sidelined in the meantime, Governor? Well, uh, 
Our debt diet is on the uh, GO bonds. That's on the operating side of the budget. And uh, we borrowed ourselves crazy over the last eight, 10 years. And uh, bonding went up uh, by something like 60%. And that means our fixed costs are going through the roof and that impacts our operating budget. So I don't really like the suggestions that let's move our transportation obligations over to the uh, operating budget as well, which would freeze out schools and other important work we're doing. And yeah, everybody cheered the fact that we have to go on a debt diet. We will go on a debt diet, but you can't say in the same breath, and let's borrow more on transportation out of those same bonds. It doesn't make sense. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. Lydia is calling from Ansonia. Lydia, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Hi, Lydia. Um, Good morning. um, I'm a teacher. uh, I'm a teacher in a school district where we hardly have any money. Right. and I also voted for you. I also supported you. I went door to door handing out flyers. So I'm a real big supporter of you, and I hope that you um, take care of our needs. There's uh, two comments and a question. I don't want tolls in Connecticut. Um, and my question is, a long time ago when they started the lottery, the proceeds were supposed to go to education. Um, I want to know what happened with that situation and um, how can the rich – be taxed, the upper percent of, small upper percent of people who are making millions of dollars. All right. Three great questions, Lydia. Thank you. And I really appreciate your support. We're not going to let you down. Um, And I am committed to education. We're um, holding um, education harmless overall in our budget, which is pretty good in, in a tight fiscal times like this. And at another time, I'll tell you what we've done to um, keep the teachers' pension fund solvent. Uh, that is so important for you and the next generation of teachers. And we can talk about that later if you want. Um, one thing we are doing is using some of the rainy day fund to um, allow us to refinance the teachers' pension fund so it's there for the long term. And we haven't ruled out the possibility of using the lottery, um, at least the lottery revenues, to help bolster the uh, pension funds as well. That's that's something that we've considered. Uh, on the rich paying more, I would say just what uh, Lucy asked me before, but I'd, I'd add to this that, um, A, we've increased the tax um, five times over the last 12 years, um, but also I am asking the wealthier communities to do a little bit more. And that gets back to the teacher's pension fund. If you're in a, a wealthier community that pays your teachers a lot more, which means you have higher pension uh, costs, um, I think we've asked our, those towns to contribute a little bit more. So everybody is going to be contributing and uh, including uh, those wealthier communities. And tolls, you know, we've talked about that before. Um, I I could just tell you again that the most important thing for Ansonia and the Valley and uh, small manufacturing, all the opportunities I see there in your neck of the woods involve uh, transportation and getting our um, state moving again. And the number one thing I hear from uh, businesses far and wide is – it's getting tougher and tougher for our employees to get to work, and it's costing us time, and it's costing them money. So uh, I'm going to be sitting down with Republicans and Democrats to find the best alternative to make sure we get this state moving again. The most important thing I could do for job opportunity for all our folks. 
Uh, and a lot of residents, again, see if tolls come back on uh, these several highways uh, in the state as another tax. Can you walk us through this idea of, of how much of a discount can uh, local residents get uh, where it's not uh, violating uh, what the federal government believes would be uh, discriminating against out-of-state uh, residents as well? Yeah, we'll look at, uh, again, look at Massachusetts. Um, we would have Easy Pass, just like they have Easy Pass. If you buy a Connecticut Easy Pass, I think we can offer a significant discount say 30 to 40 percent. In addition, I believe the feds will allow us to offer a discount to those who have to use the uh, roads um, more frequently. So you could get a discount of 40 to 50 percent compared to what out-of-staters are paying. And that would make an enormous difference. And then, you know, to Lydia and, and David's point, you know, we could also do something on a tax credit or property tax to make sure that, um, you know, middle-class folks are not getting slammed by this. And we should add that uh, voters ratified the lockbox. So if tolls come to the state of Connecticut, does that mean all of that toll revenue will be put in that lockbox to be used to pay for transportation only? Yeah, that is really important. Thank you for bringing that up because nobody trusts the politicians. They say, oh, my gosh, you're going to you're going to put it to transportation and pretty soon it's going to be going to pay the operating budget again. And I feel more comfortable. I hear this from the business leaders in particular. I'd feel more comfortable if I knew on a guarantee that this money goes just to transportation, you can't loot it to pay other things. And that's what the lockbox is all about. You can join our conversation on Where We Live, 860-275-7266. Linda's calling from Farmington. Linda, what's your question? Good morning, Governor. Pleasure to speak with you. Hi, Linda. Um, my question is that why is it so hard to keep the election promises? Is something that changed when you come to the office? Because I have no doubt that you will change. But it comes hard to make these decisions. And the other one, I would love to know what you're thinking about city transit. It looks that we're losing a lot of money there. Well, two questions. I made so some. What are your plans? I made some core promises uh, during the campaign. I said, number one, Linda, that I was going to have the most diverse administration in the history of this state. And I think if you look at the people we have hired, it's an administration from our commissioners to the governor's staff that really reflect what makes this state great in all of its diversity. I said I'm going to hold the line on the income tax and the sales tax. And I put forward a budget to the legislature. Now it's over to them that um, holds the line on the income tax and the sales tax. I said I wanted to uh, keep faith with education and make sure that's a major commitment because there's nothing more important than a, a great local schools and workforce development. If you want to know uh, how you get the state going again, uh, companies travel around the globe looking for workforce talent. Um, and right now they should come to Connecticut because we have the best trained, best educated, most productive workers in the world. And we're going to keep educating and training people uh, to make sure that happens. And the other question I think was on uh, city transit. Um, yes. Linda wanted to know more about that. And that's a good question because buses move a lot more people than Hartford Line. Look, I think rail and bus transit are so important. The um, transit systems are going to use our major cities as hubs. That's going to help bring our major cities uh, to life. And interconnection with, um, with bus is very important. I'm working with uh, Joe Giletti, our head of DOT, about once we get um, a new source of revenue for the special transportation fund, what we can do to bring down the cost of bus service. I look around just anecdotally and I see a lot of our city buses are empty during a non-peak times. 
And how come our seniors, how come our vets, how come folks on their way to community college, how come I can't maybe make that free or at least a lot less expensive for them during that off-peak time? And by the way, that would get some of the cars off the road. Uh, we're going to be uh, breaking in a couple of minutes to talk about some other of your budget proposals beyond tolls, but there's a lot uh, that we uh, do want to unpack, including uh, this uh, bill by State Senator Alex Bergstein, um, the idea of selling revenue stream that tolls are expected to produce for upfront payments uh, that are then um, that are less than the amount of tolls we're bringing over time, this idea of securitization. What is your take on that? Would you support that? Having a third party come in um, also to operate the system as well. Well, we're certainly, Lucy, going to look at um, public-private partnerships and ways that we can um, uh, upgrade our transportation the most economical way possible. I'm not really interested in selling off our public infrastructure. That, that doesn't seem to make the most sense to me. But working collaboratively with the private sector, um, that's something I would look at. I'd also look at it as a business guy who's now here fighting for the public every day. And I make sure with public-private, it's not the taxpayers who take all the downside risk and the private guys who get all the upside. You know, I'd make sure we do this on a fair economical basis, but I got to bring down the cost of construction and to give you uh, confidence that your money has been well invested in our transportation system. So if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, if tolls come to Connecticut, you wouldn't support a third party agency um, dealing with that system? Well, that, that's a different question. I mean, you could ask me, um, what if we had a transportation authority that was independent that oversaw that. So legislators couldn't, you know, raise tolls unilaterally. Um, and this is the way they do it in New York and some other places. Um, I haven't gotten that far, but it's certainly something I would think about. And a little bit more on the securitization of toll revenue, uh, getting an upfront payment to help pay down the deficit from a private uh, partner. Would you support that? Again, I'd be uh, very reluctant, but let me see the details. Some people have talked about, look, if we got some upfront money, let's put that into the teachers of the state employee pension fund, shore that up and give uh, the next generation of uh, workers the uh, confidence their pension will be there for them. Uh, Governor Ned Lamont is here with me. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel on where we live today as we talk about his budget proposals. You can join us too. The number 860-275-7266. You can also find us on Twitter. Just tweet us at where we live and we're here on Facebook Live as well. Add your question or comment below that video stream. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with us today, Governor Ned Lamont. We're uh, breaking down his budget proposals. We spent a lot of time on transportation. There's a lot more to get to. You can join us too, 860-275-7266. I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, all of the expansions for the uh, sales tax. Um, one being all the, the, also uh, taxing certain things like soda, uh, like plastic bags. Tell us your rationale, your thinking behind that, Governor. Uh, my rationale, Lucy, um, 
in the old days, say a generation ago, the sales tax was the workhorse. We raised all of our revenue that way, and the sales tax applied to, say, two-thirds, three-quarters of our economy. Today, the sales tax applies to much less than half of our economy, and it's the slowing grow- slowest growing half. It's um, you know the Sears Roebuck economy, over-the-counter sales. Uh, the fastest growing pieces of our economy are, are you know e-commerce, digital, consumer services, uh, and the such. So we thought, look, let's hold the rate. Let's not raise the sales tax. Depending how broad, how much we can broaden the base, we could even potentially reduce uh, the sales tax rate a little bit. But my thinking was it would be a more reliable, predictable revenue stream if we just didn't raise taxes on a narrower, narrower piece of the economy, but expanded the base. But something like uh, taxing plastic bags, there's also a movement in the state to ban plastic bags and doing that over several years um, and, you know, tacking a fee onto that. Is that muddying that um, that proposal up um, when you think about um, predictable, reliable uh, revenue, but eventually you're not going to get that from the plastic bags, are you, if that ban No, I hope we don't. I hope uh, plastic bags uh, go the way of the dodo. And uh, that may happen. Um, we, we show some revenues from plastic bags. I don't think it starts to the second year, so people can plan for it and um, save up. Maybe reusable plastic bags will help them. And then eventually, over time, that revenue goes down as people move away. But look, it's an environmental issue that's uh, colossal, and I think we can do something about it. Um, what uh, feedback are you getting from uh, the General Assembly? Because they're hearing from their constituents who don't want to see um, having to pay tax when they're uh, you know, getting legal services or paying their accountant. Uh, again, people on fixed income where every little bit matters, Governor. Well, I'm hearing quite a bit from the legislature, that's for sure. But I've asked them just to be constructive. Don't just say, uh, I'm against this, I'm against that. Um, Uh, Cut another billion dollars in spending. uh, Cut this tax. Uh, Look, come forward with numbers that add up. We haven't had a budget in this state that really added up in an honest way. I was shocked as a business person looking at this budget. You know, it's close to insolvent as a business person. You saw how this is and the number of fixed costs and the unfunded liabilities that are out there. So I am going to hold the legislature accountable. It's fine if you want to criticize from the sidelines, but then come forward with constructive, real alternatives. And believe me, the door is open. I'm ready to listen. A lot of expansions with the sales tax. Can I ask you, if you were to get those expansions expansions this legislative session, does that mean next year you wouldn't propose raising the sales tax rate? What I've done is put in place a budget that um, uh, lasts for at least uh, you know the next four years which is about three and a half years longer than the last budgets have lasted for. We're always coming back in the middle of the year and, oh, my gosh, we overestimated this. The most important thing I hear from uh, business and labor and from superintendents of schools and mayors is give us a little bit of consistency, Ned. I don't expect you to overpromise. You know, we had a campaign where I was running against somebody who's going to eliminate all these taxes, eliminate the income tax. And that scared um, folks in this sense. They don't want a lot of a turbulence. They want a consistent policy so they can count on it and they know what their budget's going to look like year in and year out. But there's also fatigue from residents who are listening right now when uh, they hear that you're trying to obviously plug the deficit over the next three, four years, but you can't say that the sales tax isn't going to go up after that if you're reelected. Well, I like to make promises I can keep. You know, I can't tell you uh, whether – 
Somebody declares war on Iran and the markets go to hell in a handbasket, income tax revenues collapse, and uh, I've got to somehow come up with a balanced budget. What I can tell you is under our current budget with the set of estimates we've got right now with a really strong rainy day fund, I'm ready to handle that uh, contingency. A strong rainy day fund. Um, some would say that you should take some of that money and plug uh, the deficit. That's been done before. Why not now? That's lousy. That's lousy business. Uh, I'll tell you why. You don't use the rainy day fund to, to plug operating uh, expenses. What you use the rainy day fund is if in the case, like I said before, there's an economic downturn and our estimates for revenues fall off, usually end up cutting services for the most vulnerable people at the last moment. I do not want that to happen. And that's why I want to keep the rainy day fund there for a rainy day. That's, that's what it's about. We did use some of it, though, to shore up the teacher's pension fund, as I said before. But that's not to fix an operating hole. That's the, uh, a one-time deal to make sure we can fix the teacher's pension fund. You can join our conversation on where we live, 860-275-7266. David's calling from Groton. David, go ahead. Hi, David. David, go ahead with your question. Oh, hey, how's it going? Sorry. Um, yeah, with, I know you ran on a platform for um, uh, legalizing marijuana in Connecticut. And if we use the network that's already in place, plus the projected dispensaries, wouldn't that create a surplus of cash for the state in order to fix a lot of these budget concerns? Uh, yes and no. Um, if we legalize and regulate marijuana um, along the lines of Rhode Island and Massachusetts and get the black market out of that uh, business, uh, A, it would um, be better from a health point of view. You'd know it was in um, the pot, but more, and it would also raise some revenue, not enough to make a real difference in terms of our budget deficit, but it would make a small difference. Uh, this idea of legalizing uh, marijuana, uh, we, it doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon in Connecticut. Are we missing our window of opportunity with all these other states, Governor Lamont? Well, I think we're going to get this done. I mean, uh, I was talking to Gita Raimondo in Rhode Island. There, we do something uh, very uh, similar. I don't like the way um, it, it's applied in terms of um, uh, you know, criminal justice. I think it uh, sometimes discriminates against people of color. I think uh, it, it kills a lot of great careers when people have that on their record for the rest of their life. And it creates a certain disrespect for the law. Um, so I think it's something we're going to do and we're going to do it carefully and we're going to get it done. Uh, what do you say to uh, some residents, uh, we even hear from medical professionals, uh, law enforcement, that they're really worried about uh, legalization of marijuana and the message it sends to young people? Uh, first of all, it's 21 years of age. Um, secondly, the black market is rampant. Uh, people are getting it right now. That's terrible. That creates a disrespect for the law. Uh, or you drive right across the border to uh, Massachusetts or right down to New Jersey. So I'm afraid that train has left the station. And I'm going to do what we do uh, in a way that makes sure that we're protected and regulated. Jim's calling from Southington. Jim, you're on Where We Live. What's your question? Hi, Ned. Jim from Southington. Hey, Jim. My Hi, how are you? Uh, my question is, you know, we're, we're talking about you know, new taxes and getting more revenue in, but... What, what are we doing to curb uh, pensions for state workers and teachers? I work for the federal government, and uh, my pension is drastically different than uh, what state workers and teachers get. 
and also in private industry, I know they've done a lot with getting away from pension funds, uh, such as Pratt Whitney's you know, is on that route as well, um, with, uh, you know, with the 401k. So why we keep on digging a hole deeper and deeper with, with, uh, with going into debt for these pension funds that are antiquated. They're from the 1960s and 70s type when, when companies did big pensions and when the federal government did the big pensions. Yep, no, I hear you. That's a good question. Um, first of all, I got to tell you that um, state employees uh, have had their salaries frozen, you know, on and off over the last, uh, you know, six or seven years. Uh, they would say they've given up quite a bit. I would tell you that we are making significant reforms in a state employee health care plan that will um, not dis- disadvantage state employees, but uh, potentially save the state well over $100 million uh, in the next um um, budget. I think that's an important thing to consider. Thirdly, um, we um, are stretching out the payments on the pension funds. So we don't face this cliff, which we could right now. And uh, as you know, I also mentioned in my uh, budget address that I think we have to uh, look at COLA, which is the cost of living increases, if we're ever going to bring down the unfunded liability over a period of time. So there's a lot on the table. Some of the newer employees already have a combined 401k and defined benefit, a hybrid plan, they call it. So we're working uh, constructively uh, with our friends in labor to make sure that we have a system that's sustainable uh, for the uh, near term and the long term. Uh, Governor, again, um, your budget calling to restructure the state's pension debt payments. Um, so you said that it's important uh, to give some relief on the front end, but there's consequences. Um, pushing the debt uh, obligations further uh, uh, where my children uh, might be paying if they decide to stay in Connecticut. So how do you respond to that? Because isn't that uh, what has been done uh, for decades now in Connecticut? This no, push- what's been done for decades is um, – Let's not pay anything into the pension fund and then let's have a big balloon payment due as soon as the next poor governor comes into office. Uh, And um, this took us, Lucy, 30, 40, 50 years of non-payment or underpayment of this fund. And now the bills are coming due and they're on our desk. So I can't ask just these current taxpayers to pick up all that load over the next 10 or 15 years. That would disadvantage uh, young. That would disadvantage education. That would hurt our social services. What I have done is said, look, it was, took us 30 years to get in this mess. It may take us 30 years to get out of this mess. But let's do it on a fixed straight line basis. Everybody makes their contribution. And the fixed cost will be a slowly, slowly um, diminishing piece of our overall budget, which means more money to invest in our future. We're at a big disadvantage compared to our peers, by the way. We spend maybe 30 percent of our budget for past due obligations, pension, health care, you know, bond to debt. And that means we spend a lot less in the future investing in the future than our neighbors do. And that's got to change. Connecticut is certainly in a big mess, uh, and you and others are trying to deal with these debt obligations. But uh, again, there's fatigue from residents who don't see any kind of um, relief uh, in sight. Why should they stick with Connecticut? We hear people who say they don't want to live here anymore. Oh, yeah, you got to stay in Connecticut. This is a place where you want to be. And um, we've got um, amazing employers. They're hiring. We've got tens of thousands of jobs we can't fill right now. Uh, You've got a governor and a legislature working together to make sure we fix this budget, not just for the near term, but for the long term. We have a transportation strategy 
that will get this state moving again. So your kids, maybe they're in New York or Boston, but all of a sudden they find they can be in Hartford or New Haven or New London and get around a lot easier and faster. We're going to be one of the first states in the country or certainly in New England that has a 5G service. We're working on that. So you can do anything you want in Hartford that you could do in Brooklyn, New York. It makes it easier for young people to grow and expand here. We're a fair amount less expensive than New York and Boston. Some of our peers are as well. That's not just in terms of taxes, but also housing. And we're going to keep faith with young people, invest in education. So this is a place where you want to uh, have a family. Nick's calling from Ellington. Nick, go ahead. Hi, how are you doing today? Good. Hey, What's your question? I'm a veteran small business owner. Um, and, you know, I spent most of my life voting Democrat. And uh, unfortunately, because, you know, a lot of the socialist type rhetoric and, and et cetera, that's on the mainstream, I had to rethink my positions. And here in Connecticut, it's been kind of the same rhetoric that we've been hearing on the grand stage. It's kind of trickled down and our local politicians seem more focused on, you know, bashing anything Trump than dealing with anything Connecticut. And I don't see... You know, I talk to a lot of small business owners. I don't see a future here for me or anymore coming up with your budget proposal. And when you say, you know, paid leave and the $15 minimum wage, I have, a, I have brought this to my state rep, and he can't seem to come up with an answer. But can I give you a scenario here? Uh, quickly, quickly, Nick. Uh, we're running quickly, out of time, okay. so do very quickly. All right, I'll try. Small business owner, you know, you don't make half a million a year. You know, you got 20 guys working for you. You have to pay them each $5 more per hour. Then you pay 30% on top of that payroll for FICA, Social Security, unemployment compensation, general liability, et cetera, et cetera. Now your payroll goes up $5,200 per week. You times that by 52 weeks, you're up over $270,000 per year. I can't afford $270,000 per year more because we want our politicians to buy votes in the inner city. So Nick, so I, uh, I think uh, Nick's question too, he wants to understand how we can, um, um, the government uh, mandate this minimum wage going up that won't impact his bottom line, Governor Lamont. All right, thanks for the question, Nick, and, and thanks for your service as a vet. Um, look, I'm the first business guy that's led this state in a generation. I come out of small business. I know exactly what it is at the end of the month to uh, make sure that you have enough to um, pay your bills and maybe something left over. So I understand exactly um, the, you know, the frustration you feel. And uh, I'm doing everything I can and, um, you know, reduce some of the nuisance taxes, including the business entity tax, which is paid disproportionately by, um, by small business. You know, going forward, yeah, I do think we should slowly and methodically raise the minimum wage. Um, I think it, um, I, I want work to pay. I understand that more and more folks are single parents or double income parents and, uh, you know, having somebody being able to take care of a sick child. These are all important ways to make sure our workplace accommodates um, the worker of the 21st century. So I'd urge you to um, work with us to make sure this is reasonable for small business and gets the job done for our uh, workers across the state. Governor Ned Lamont is with me, Lucy Nalpathanchel, here on Where We Live. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, i got to ask you about school regionalization. A lot of parents uh, showed up at the LOB on Friday. And you can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with us this hour, Governor Ned Lamont. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, let's talk through regionalization because I was saying uh, last week that as long as I've lived in Connecticut, about 12 years, this comes up time and time again. Um, now there are several bills, including you're also proposing um, certain school districts uh, regionalizing. Tell us what you've proposed and how are you going to get uh, get uh, uh, the legislature to agree? So, Lucy, um, there was a question about uh, promises made. I said during the campaign that I will do nothing to compromise the feisty independence of our 169 towns. And I know how important local control of your schools are. And, um, and, and that will not change. I also said during the campaign, I'm not going to subsidize inefficiency. And when it comes to back office, when it comes to IT, when it comes to purchasing, there are ways that um, our schools can save a heck of a lot of money. So what my bill does, the governor's bill, um, it says, look, I'm going to continue to incent ways that we can bring down the cost of education, make sure more of that overhead is not spent on overhead, but is uh, money that goes into the classroom. But I think a parent should know I'm not doing anything to compromise the independence of your local schools. But are, isn't one of the proposals uh, that uh, certain districts, smaller districts, um, if they don't find a way to collaborate on, say, who the superintendent is, they're going to get less money from the state? Uh, one of the pro proposals we have is, yeah, we're going to give you incentives. Um, you know, we have a lot of very small uh, school districts that spend maybe 50 uh, percent more per pupil than other um, towns because they're just what you said. They have a lot of overhead uh, spread across very few students. So I would like to give them incentives to do things that bring down costs for everybody. But at the end of the day, if they want to have one superintendent for that one school, um, God bless them. They're allowed to do that. No, nothing will change. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, your strategy for uh, who you've selected to lead state agencies. Uh, some commissioners are, um, are sticking around from the previous administration. Uh, some you've nominated, including uh, former Goldman Sachs executive uh, David Lehman, I believe. Uh, tell us why uh, you have nominated him to lead DECD, the Department of Economic and Community Development. So pull, pull the lens back a little bit. Um, I've got... Um it's as good a group of folks as I have ever worked with, um, both as commissioners and our governor's team. Um, I was always a little skeptical about people that went in the government, didn't think they were as good maybe as the guys in the private sector. This is wrong. I've got an extraordinary team. Some come from outside Hartford. Some come from inside Hartford. Some are, um, you know, come from the public. Some come from the private. And, um, and we can go through who that group is. And it's an incredibly diverse group. And 48 percent are women. Mm -hmm. Um, Susan's always pushing me. Keep yeah. going, Ned. But I asked specifically about your choice for David Lehman, again, a former yeah. Goldman Sachs, yeah. this company um, that even the U.S. Senate, when they investigated after the financial crisis, uh, said that Goldman Sachs um, had a lot to do with the fact that millions of Americans lost a lot of money, uh, especially the working poor, the middle class. Uh, why? Um, David Lehman is going to be leading our economic development efforts. He has spent um, the last 10 years working on public-private partnerships. He has spent the last 10 years working on opportunity zones. He knows business of folks inside the state and outside the state. You're right. He's very different than the usual person we have leading DECD. But I'm really proud that he has um, come forward. He's living at the Hilton Hotel here in uh, Hartford much time during the week. He's rolled up his sleeves and he'll do an extraordinarily good job. And I get it. A lot of people have Googled Goldman Sachs and they say Goldman Sachs is a firm where he was. 
Um, and, and they blame them, you know, blame the firm or Wall Street for a lot of what happened. And uh, yeah, they, Wall they Street deserve the blame. They and Wall Street uh, deserves some of that blame. Absolutely. We leveraged ourselves to the eyeballs. Deregulation was a, a disaster in the 90s and how that resulted out. But that's not David Lehman. I mean, David Lehman was 28 years old. He had just um, showed up. He's a guy who really wants to do everything he can to get this state growing again. And he gives us the best opportunity to do that. Him alongside uh, Ingenui, uh, I allowed her to be retired from PepsiCo for about an hour or two. And she's going to co-lead our efforts in terms of economic development, along with Jim Smith, who was retired from Webster Bank, about three hours. So I've got a great team that gives this state the best chance to get growing again. So the fact that he worked for a company uh, where there was evidence that they deceived uh, investors to make money, deceive their clients, you don't see that as being attached to David Lehman? A, I don't see that as being attached to David Lehman. And, um, and, and you can't paint with a broad brush. I mean, um, I, I just think that's fundamentally unfair to this uh, young man and what he wants to do for this state. And, uh, yep, Wall Street um, were selling some lousy products, but they were generally selling lousy products to hedge funds, you know, um, that were, you know, derelict and not paying attention to what they were buying. That doesn't have anything to do with David. David's all about growth and opportunity in this state. Uh, we just have a couple of minutes left. Again, uh, Governor Ned Lamont was with us uh, here on uh, Where We Live. Um, I want to take a quick call. Uh, Anna from Middlebury. Anna, we have just under a minute. Tell us what your question is for the governor. Yes, good morning, Governor Lamont. Hi, Anna. Uh, first, I'd like to say that I love Connecticut. Um, anyway, I was raised on Long Island, but I love it here. I'm also a Waterbury public school teacher, and um, I have a couple of comments. Uh, one, we do have, you know, on average, a fantastic public education system here in Connecticut, uh, and our young people are well-educated. The thing is, that, like you said, they do tend to go to New York City and Boston, where the standard of living is much more expensive. So what to do? I have a daughter who... Uh, grew up here in Middlebury, and she now lives in Waltham, Massachusetts, and she loves New Haven, and she would love to come back. So that's one thing. Also, you know, there's a lot more uh, going towards walkable urbanism, which I think is why a lot of young people tend to choose Boston and New York. The other thing is one of the callers talked about 401ks and the teacher's pension. And I do have an issue with that because the 401ks were created to supplement pension plans, not replace them. And you can see as the Anna, we're Anna, we're out of time. I'm Just let, so quickly, uh, what what is your one question to Lamont? Question is, um, what can the state do to ensure that people do stay here and our young people do come back? Perfect, and live uh, Governor Lamont. <laughs> I, I'm with you, Anna. I'm sorry. And by the way, I grew up in Long Island and I love Connecticut. So we've got that in common. And Waterbury is really so, on the rise. So we're out of time, cities. unfortunately. Bring back our cities. Make sure there are places where young people want to be. Not just jobs and opportunity, but fun and lively cultural centers. Thank you, Governor Lamont, for coming on Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpatanchel. Thanks for listening.